Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Years ago, the idea of using artificial intelligence and voice search engine optimization were just a pipe dream. But today, these digital marketing trends are among the top priorities for many business owners. So how can brands implement these measures and stand out in today's saturated marketplace? Well, I have two experts here from NutriScience with me that are going to share some tips. Right now, I'd like to welcome Andrew Goldman, Vice President of Digital Marketing, and Vincent Tricarico, Vice President of Contract Manufacturing. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Danielle. Happy to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Danielle. So you both have a combined three decades in the industry. Uh, tell me a little bit about your backgrounds before we get into to all the digital marketing trends. Yes, it's true. We've, uh, we've been in the industry for a while. Myself, uh, the end of September... This will be my 21st year in the uh, natural health product uh, industry. My story is one of chance. Uh, 21 years ago, you know, I, I applied for a part-time inside sales job working for a direct-to-consumer vitamin company and was able to uh, be with that company for 11 years, uh, spending the last five years as the chief operating officer and seeing them through a time where they were able to double their revenues and become a force in what was the direct-to-consumer market at the time. And for the last 11 years, I've been lucky enough to be part of the NutriScience team. And um, it's been a fun trip. I've seen the industry go through many changes, both in sales, marketing, and uh, I'm excited to be here to uh, discuss some of that today. What about you, Andrew? What's your background like? So I've been in the nutraceutical space now for, like Vin said, his anniversary is coming up at the end of September. My anniversary is also coming up at the end of September, um, it'll be 14 years for me in the nutraceutical industry. And as a digital marketer, I've been doing this since 2006. My story is that initially I worked on the agency side, had clients from all different backgrounds, not just the health industry, but everybody that sold DJ equipment to life insurance companies. And one of the gentlemen that I worked with, that was a colleague of mine, ended up working for the company that Vin worked for as COO brought me in. And here I am 14 years later, still working for NutriScience Labs. And you know, I started out as the digital marketing manager and have worked my way up since then to be the vice president of digital marketing. And like Vin said, I have definitely seen the landscape change over the last decade plus, you know, where 15, 16 years ago, brand owners didn't know what search engine optimization was. You know, you might as well be speaking Greek to them when you mentioned uh, that phrase. <laughs> and nowadays, it seems like uh, the overwhelming majority of brand owners definitely know what search engine optimization is, are fairly social media savvy. You know, they have their brands on, on Amazon, but, you know, like any business, any brand owner, you're looking for the inside edge. So, you know, I'm excited to, to be part of today's episode and to, to try to help fill in the gaps along with them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like you said, you've seen the industry change over the years and maybe 10, 20 years ago, SEO wasn't part of, you know, your typical nomenclature, but today it's part of the conversation. So just looking back in the last decade, I mean, what have you observed in terms of how brands sell their products? When you think back 10 years ago and, and where the industry was primarily in retail. And when I first joined NutriScience, I remember new customers were desperately trying to get their products into retail and really had no expertise in how to handle that. Additionally, there were some 
online marketplaces, but if you weren't selling your product through those specific marketplaces or didn't know how to do it, you know, you were really scratching and clawing, especially as a new brand owner to come into the space. So primarily 10 years ago, I mean, it was, it was retail or nothing. Fast forward to 2021 and 22. I mean, would you say brands pretty much have to invest time and money and resources into growing their digital footprint? Absolutely. And what it's created is an opportunity to really reach the end user and provide content in addition to product that creates a community. And I feel that the brands that have embraced this sort of strategy where, you know, they're, they're being really smart about the content that they produce across different platforms. I feel like um, those are the companies that are winning. Those are the companies that are taking market share. And those are the ones that will continue to succeed. People consume content differently today compared to 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you know, you had the internet, obviously, and it was growing, but TV, radio were still tremendous parts of how we consumed our content. And if you look at the way the world is today, those two mediums are certainly still here, but how we consume it is completely different. And then when you add on the, the, the different platforms that exist um, digitally, you have to be there and you got to be good at it. I would say that the biggest change that I observed, I'll kind of piggyback off of what Vin was saying. Two things. Number one, if you think back to 10, 15 years ago, not everybody had a website, right? Even if you did have a website, you didn't know how to run it. You didn't know how to optimize it. Most websites that I worked on back in 2006, 2007, you had to update in Dreamweaver, which wasn't exactly the easiest program to use. You know, fast forward to now, you have platforms like WordPress out there, Shopify, WooCommerce, so on and so forth. And these are user-friendly platforms that anybody could hop on and within a matter of minutes or a matter of hours can be pretty savvy as far as updating their website is concerned. And some of the native tools that are part of those platforms allow these brand owners to A-B test on the fly, build up their email marketing subscriber list. So, you know, from that regard, it's become a little bit easier for brand owners that are not necessarily savvy or just getting started out in the industry to, to really dip their toe in the water and make an impact. The other area that I've definitely noticed a lot of growth over the last decade or so will be social media. So again, if you think back 10, 15 years ago, Facebook was essentially in its infancy. There was no YouTube. There was no Instagram, definitely no TikTok. Nowadays, you know, unless you've been living under a rock, those platforms are, are really prominent and people are using, not only brands are using, but consumers are using them. There's data out there showing that more purchases were done through social media platforms during the pandemic era. Um, than at any other time. I myself as a consumer have purchased product through social media advertisements or shoppable posts. So I think that's really the, the way of the world nowadays. And if you can be savvy, and like what Vin said, if you know the content that will resonate the most with not only your current customers, but also target customers, and you know the platforms that they're on, and you dig into the data, and you're able to make those data-driven decisions to know when is your audience active on those platforms, um, what you should be posting and so on and so forth. We've done case studies or I've read case studies where brands that are only three, four, five employees are outpacing brands that have hundreds of employees and definitely a lot more budget to work with. So, you know, it's those brands that are digitally savvy that I think are prime for, for growth, not only now, but in the future as well, if they can get a handle of these platforms. 
Mm-hmm. It's so funny because, you know, obviously for my job, I do a lot of research on gut microbiome, probiotics, dietary supplements. And so when I hop on to things like Instagram, that's all the ads that I see. Yeah. Is that something that a lot of brands are doing? They're able to see what you're searching online and then build advertisements. There's definitely a lot of social listening that's out there based on, um, I would say a lot of cookie driven data or cookie driven information. So if you're doing a search on Google for a probiotic product, or you're searching for probiotic ingredients, those cookies know to serve you advertisements or serve you posts that are geared towards exactly what you're searching for. It's the, it's the way of the world and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. That's something that comes up. I think in a lot of conversations is, you know, one minute you're talking about something and then the next minute there's an ad for it. And you kind of wonder, (laughs) Um, so we were just talking about, you know, this past decade, but how about like the last two years was COVID the tipping point that really shifted a lot of this consumer behavior that we're seeing today? Absolutely. The last 12 to 24 months, there has been a dramatic shift to attention being paid you know, online, we basically have been forced out of the stores and online and brands that have embraced the right strategy to be visible, not only to be visible, but to be relevant um, with content that attracts attention is the most important thing you can do. And when you think about the way the world has been over the last 12 to 24 months, you know, it's not just about the products and the brands. There's a, there's a social awareness that needs to be incorporated. There's a a lifestyle, there's a community um, side of this that brand owners certainly need to be aware of on top of the technical um, side of it. I've observed a lot more advertising on those social media platforms like Instagram, like YouTube. I would say in regards to those platforms, probably the biggest trend that I've seen are micro videos. So if you think back Not too long ago, TikTok came out on fire and then Instagram and YouTube came out. And now with YouTube, you have shorts with Instagram, you have reels. And I think what happened there is that, you know, these are big companies, right? You have TikTok, you have Instagram that's owned by Facebook, you have YouTube that's owned by Google. These are huge companies that have a lot of people looking at a lot of data, right? In addition to looking at all that data, or one of the, I guess, takeaways of coming out with, uh, or looking at that data would be that people aren't watching videos. The average attention span of somebody, I read a report recently, is eight seconds. So you have eight seconds to reach somebody, to grab their attention, and to get them to do something that you want them to do. It's not a whole lot of time, right? Mm-mm. So you have TikTok, you have Instagram, you have YouTube. So rather than them pushing these 20, 30 minute videos for people to watch, now they're encouraging publishers to come out with videos that are 20 seconds in length, 30 seconds in length. And what that is doing is it's forcing advertisers to get their message across as succinctly and also as creatively as possible. You know, as far as data is concerned, as far as what that has produced in terms of more revenue or more sales, I can't speak to that. But what I can tell you is that it's the way of the world. It's not going anywhere. If you look at the popularity of these platforms, they're soaring right now. Even us on the Instagram side, we've started to dip our toe in as far as reels are concerned, trying to not only educate people that might be interested in starting their own dietary supplement company, but also on the brand side of the business as well. That's something that we're looking into as well to try to start selling more product. I think that on the contract manufacturing side, 
there's an opportunity for us to really lift the curtain and be transparent and show people who we are, what we do. Between Vin and I, we have over 30 years of industry experience, but if you look at our team as a whole, we have over 100 years of experience. I don't know of too many contract manufacturers out there that A, have that type of experience and B, are willing to share their knowledge. So from that regard, it gives us a great opportunity or a great platform to share our expertise, to show our operations, to show who we are and what we do, and to do as as succinctly as possible. I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people, when they think of TikTok and Instagram, they see sort of these influencers, these shallow people who are, you know, putting on lipstick and things like that, but you're actually doing a lot of useful work too. And, and maybe not a lot of brands realize, you know, the potential that some of these platforms hold. Absolutely. I, I think in, in our case, Danielle, we believe that education is key. If we can produce content that is unique that is relevant, that's engaging, and at times even entertaining, we become a trusted resource to these people. And that's not only on the contract manufacturing side of the business, but that's also on the branded side of the business. We're not trying to constantly shovel product down people's throats because at the end of the day, if you continue to do that over and over and over again, your message is going to fall on deaf ears. Especially in this particular industry, people want to know what they're putting in their bodies. It's not just product potentially for them. It could be for their mom, their dad, their sister, their brother, their kids. So I think nowadays consumers are fairly educated or fairly concerned about what they're putting in their body. So they want to know um, that information, which again, because of the fact that people don't have a long attention span, they don't want to read articles and guides and white papers, which, which is why I think video is so important. I think if you can turn all that information into what I would call snackable content, 10 to 20 second videos or short posts or carousel posts, that can make a world of difference. And as you continue to put out posts like that, and again, doing it at the right time, at the right days of the week, when your audience is on those platforms, if you can accomplish that, you're going to build trust over time. So that when that consumer is ready to pull the trigger and purchase a product, you're going to be top of mind. Andrew made a good point in the sense that you want to put out education, you want to build that trust. And it kind of goes back to the sense of community, right? People are using their time on social media. It's increasing number one. um, But I think once you grab a content consumer's attention, when you grab that follower, um, you have a a job to do to, to keep them engaged. And I feel once you're able to do that through short, simple, but very valuable posts, you then become a part of somebody's routine. Um, That's really the end goal, right? You want your product to be a part of somebody's routine, whether it's in the morning, whether it's at night, and you could kind of link your content around that same sort of thing. You want to build this community where people are not only taking your products, but they're also going to your Instagram feed and they're, they're getting the next little bit of information that's educational, entertainment, and they go on with their day. This evolution is so fascinating to me. You know, social media started off as a source of entertainment, but it's pretty much a necessity for most businesses now. How much more value do you think society places on the digital world versus physical stores? Especially now that we're in this pandemic era, I think that people are still wary about going into retail. I wouldn't necessarily put myself into that bucket, but at the height of COVID, without a doubt, I was doing the bulk of my purchasing online. And like I said, I'll use an example from my personal life. Around the time that COVID really started to ramp up, I couldn't go to the gym anymore. So, and we talked about that social listening or that that cookie-based marketing. 
I started to look around online and try to find fitness equipment that I could purchase and bring into my home without necessarily going into a store and trying it out. I ended up purchasing a Peloton. But in order for me to purchase that Peloton, I had to go online. I had to do the research. Like, why would I want to purchase a Peloton instead of a NordTrack, for example? And then from there, getting different information about different fitness routines or how I could change up my diet and so on and so forth. So I think that this is, and Vin hit on this a little bit earlier, but I think that this is the way of the world. I don't think that retail is necessarily going to die, but I do think that retail definitely needs to adjust if they haven't already done so to be more digitally savvy, whether it's with their website optimization or doing A-B testing to figure out what buttons convert better or what calls to action work better, you know, their checkout processes and making sure that they're providing their users with an optimal experience, especially on mobile. If brand owners aren't already aware of this, Google has already started to roll out. In fact, I, I think that they just completed rolling out their core web vitals project that essentially focuses on that, making sure that you're providing your users, your visitors with an optimal experience. Those brand owners or those websites that don't do that are going to face consequences for that. Not necessarily being pulled out of the search results, but you're not going to be as visible. At the end of the day, Google's in the business of doing a lot of things, but Google is also in the business of providing people not only with the most relevant information based on the query that they entered, but also what happens after that click takes place. So again, they're going to reward those websites that are doing a good job of giving their visitors the best possible experience. I think the same thing on social media as well. Again, the brands that can get it right, provide their users or their followers with unique, relevant, engaging, relevant information are going to succeed in this day and age. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Google and you also mentioned Instagram and, and Facebooks and social media. Uh, what are some other platforms that you think brand owners should pay attention to? The big one that I would say, I mean, we've already talked about it a great deal, but you can't ignore social media. And again, what I would say to brand owners is don't be a jack of all trades. If you haven't done so already, don't start a TikTok account tomorrow. Don't start Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, all these different platforms and do them all at once. I can speak to my own professional experience. I would rather master one or two platforms first know the ins and outs of them, know what works, know what doesn't work, and then proceed from there. In order to figure out what platforms your audience is on, it's very simple. Ask them, do surveys, do email marketing. When they purchase a product, maybe as part of the post-purchase experience, give them a postcard and incentivize them to turn it in. Ask them, where are you most active online? Do you prefer email? Do you prefer text messages? Do you prefer social media? If so, what platforms are you most active on? Getting that intel for a brand owner is going to be like gold because at the end of the day, you'll know where to place your bets. So I would definitely say social media is one of the platforms I would advise brand owners to focus on, but make sure that you select it with care. The second platform that I would suggest is Google ads. If you paid attention to the anatomy of the SERP, the search engine result page over the last 10 years, you've seen that it has changed significantly. Even in the past year to two years, mm-hmm. it's changed significantly. So if you go back to 2006, 2007, maybe you had one or two paid advertisements that appeared, at least on top. And then on the right-hand side of the page, you had a whole bunch of ads that appeared. And then after that, it was organic search. So that's all you had to compete with was paid search and organic search. Now you fast forward. Now you have four advertisers at times that are on top of the page. 
On the right-hand side, you might have a Google Knowledge Graph that tells you a little bit more about the company or the owner or so on and so forth. Then you have local results. And you see all this information before you've even touched your mouse to scroll. And then you have the organic search results. So what I would say is it's Google Ads, but I would also advise brand owners to adopt what I would call a SERP strategy, a search engine result page strategy. So what does that mean? It means that you have to pay attention to Google Ads. You have to pay attention to the organic results. You have to absolutely pay attention to Google My Business. If brand owners aren't familiar with it, Google My Business not only gives you the ability to collect customer reviews, but you can also use it as another social platform to share whatever content you may have. It could be blog content, articles, guides, videos, just company updates, offers, so on and so forth. But it gives you a great deal of uh, flexibility as far as brand owners concerned to post what you want to post. So as far as Google ads is concerned, how do you make your advertisement stand out? I would advise brand owners really select your headlines with care, take advantage of the different features or the native features that Google ads offers advertisers. So for example, site links, phone extensions that give you the ability to click the call, price extensions. Um, there's also call out extensions and location. So essentially what you wanna do is you wanna take up as much real estate as you possibly can within those search results to generate a click. If you can generate the click at that point, then your focus should be on how do I optimize the experience for somebody when they come onto my website? Whether it's again, changing button colors, changing calls to action, giving them a seamless experience, not only when they're on a product page, but also a checkout as well. And then the last platform that brand owners should be focusing on would be email marketing. I'll also throw text uh, marketing in there or SMS marketing. How do you go about doing that? And how do you end up growing your, your subscriber base? Offer promotions um, when somebody lands onto your website. So for example, you can have a pop-up that appears. You give people 20% off your first order. Again, testing and learning for brand owners is going to be really important. For all you know, offering a 15% discount might yield you more email addresses. The content that you offer on your website, so in addition to selling products, I would definitely place a emphasis or a focus on content creation whether it's guides, white papers, templates, tip sheets. It's a great way for, again, not only for you to share information, but to also build trust. At the same time, you're also building your subscriber base. I would also advise brand owners to remove the barriers of entry when it comes to collecting email addresses on forms. So for example, on the NutriScience website, all we ask people for is a name and an email address. For me, that's a perfect amount of information as a digital marker because I have everything I need. I have the email address of the person, so I can send them whatever information I would like. And then also, I, I also have their first name so I can personalize my messages to them. And based off of what I know, and there's plenty of studies and articles out there, the more that you can personalize content, the greater the chances that somebody is going to open it. So that will improve your open rates, your click rates, your click to open rate, and then hopefully your conversion rate as well. The last thing that I would say as far as email marketing is concerned, please, please, please do not buy lists. That is the carnal sin of email marketing. And I would say the same thing for social media as well. Do not buy followers. It is the one thing, and I think Ving can also speak to this a little bit more, but as not only a consumer, but also a digital marketer, if I go on somebody's Instagram page and I see that they have a million followers and then I check out what they're posting and I only see 50 people liking their content, that's going to make me a little bit suspicious as far as giving that company or that brand my money. So I would definitely advise brand owners to not purchase followers, do not purchase email subscribers as well. 
Um, yeah, certainly not a, a good way to build consumer trust, right? Absolutely not. And that's the name of the game at the end of the day. If you can get consumers to trust you, and again, I'll, I'll go back to content over and over again. If you can build trust through your content, you have a much higher chance to succeed in this industry. Yeah, you absolutely want to have quality over quantity when it comes to followers and your email subscribers. And uh, I feel like if you focus on what you're delivering to that audience and there's value within what you're delivering and you, um, Andrew brought up a, a good point in the sense that, you know, the way of the world today is, you know, reviews are something that people are looking to offer feedback. And I feel like you can capitalize on that today, probably more than might've been available in the past. It's not a burden to most people when they purchase something, they want to have that engagement with companies. So to be able to capitalize that, to really understand what your audience is looking for, it's just going to help you to create that personalized, tailored approach to what it is that you might be creating, who you're delivering it to and, and in what means you're delivering it through. You guys both had so many great tips and, and ideas. What other trends do you forecast for 2022 and beyond? What should brand owners be paying attention to? One of the things to definitely keep an eye on is what we just briefly touched on, which is the personalized experience. I feel like that's becoming more and more of an area where consumers are looking to engage with brands um, that have their specific needs involved. And the more you're able to personalize those experiences, personalize the content, I feel that that's going to be something that's only going to become a focus as, as you look forward here. Andrew? Go ahead, Andrew. So I think that there's a few areas that will probably reign supreme uh, in 2022. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but SMS marketing or text message marketing, I think is going to be a key area for brand owners to focus on. I believe that email marketing and SMS marketing can work in tandem with one another, just so brand owners are aware of this. This was a, uh, a study that was published by Campaign Monitor, but the average open rate on an email across all industries is 20% versus the average open rate on a text message is 98%. So take that data and do what you will with it. On average, it takes 90 seconds for a person to reply to a text message versus 90 minutes to an email. And then last but not least, 269 billion emails are sent each day. And 50% of all emails sent are spam. So if you're looking for a way for your brand to stand out, I would definitely concentrate or consider SMS marketing. Some of the other areas that I think are going to reign supreme in 2022, marketing automation, specifically chatbots and voice assistants to help consumers out once they're on a website to help them make a purchase. I think it's really important. Personalized experiences. I mentioned earlier about capturing a person's name and then any other information that they're willing to give you at least on the front end, I think it's important for brand owners to leverage that. Mobile-first marketing, again, paying attention to the mobile version of your website and making sure that it's friendly for consumers to shop on. And then last but not least, you can't ignore Amazon. Amazon isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So you know, I would make sure that you're, that you're doing what you can to be visible on there. If brand owners need help with their Amazon marketing, we put together a great guide at NutriScience Labs that you can grab on our blog for free. And just check it out and see the, the latest and the greatest trends and how you can help your product pages stand out and possibly increase your sales. All right. We will have to check out that. Andrew Goldman and Vincent Tercarico from NutriScience, thank you both so much for dropping some digital marketing knowledge here on the NutriCast. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Danielle. 
If you like what you just heard, you could subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.